Hello, and welcome to the first ever episode of Healthcare Blame Game from the Healthcare Financial Management Association. I'm Erica Grotto, a senior editor at HFMA. And I'm Brad Dittison, chief content executive at HFMA. For anyone listening who doesn't know about HFMA, we are the Healthcare Financial Management Association. We're nonprofit, nonpartisan, non-lobbying, and we provide guidance and professional development to more than 100,000 members working in healthcare. I oversee a team of six editors. They all have various backgrounds, but mostly ex-newspaper and journal professionals. We publish HFM Magazine, which is a hybrid peer-reviewed journal slash news magazine. We cover policy and regulatory news on a daily basis. We cover all things healthcare finance with a heavy focus on solutions and best practices. And we've been pretty successful in the podcast space. Yeah, HFMA members might be familiar with our other podcast, Voices in Healthcare Finance, which I also host. But this podcast is something new and different. What we're really trying to do here is take articles that are out there in the media or studies that are being done and challenging the thinking. So this was born out of frustration and conversations with healthcare folks and journalists who read stories and immediately recognize something isn't quite right. So we're here to explain how healthcare finance really works and point out where reporting is missing the mark. We've been discussing this blame game concept for several months now, but it also feels like a culmination of years of experience, especially for you, I imagine, because you spent a long time on the media side. For sure. I was in media, worked in newspapers for 25 years. I spent 15 years as a top news executive who was responsible for hundreds of newsrooms and thousands of journalists, including investigative teams, I'm a past president of the Associated Press Media Editors. So I know the mechanics of how journalism should work, and that's the lens that I look at these things through. You launched Blame Game as a blog post that was released 10 days ago at the time of this recording. What's the response been so far? Well, I didn't really know what to expect when I launched it. I mean, I didn't know if it was going to get 50 views or, or what, but at this point, it's been about 10 days since we launched the original blog. It's received thousands of views. I'm getting email from across the country. The subject line is almost always, quote, thank you. Someone at HFMA said it's giving healthcare people's inside voice and outside voice. I've even heard from editors and reporters, non-healthcare people who have been very supportive of the concept, have read it, and support the logic from the first blog. So let's talk about that first blog. You critiqued a story that appeared in Kaiser Health News, or KHN, as we'll refer to them in this episode. We're going to be talking about that story in this episode today. So we'll link the blog post and the KHN story in the show notes. But let's start with a little summary of what the piece was about. Yeah, so this was a story written by KHN reporter Noam Levy and was published late last year. The title is Investigation. Many hospitals sue patients for debts or threaten their credit. So KHN spent several months gathering information on hospitals' policies and created a database where you can search for your hospital to find out what actions it's going to take against you if you don't pay your bill. Ultimately, they gathered policy info on about 528 hospitals, so let's call that 10% of U.S. hospitals. They also provide a few anecdotes for patients whose high medical debt has been a huge financial burden on them. And it gets into issues of how charity care is provided. But the article really failed to ask some key questions about federal regulations, about how hospital policies are put into practice, and about the patient's role in the process. 
So the story makes several claims. And what I would like to do is go through a few of them, um, add some context and talk about why this report misses the mark. The first claim is what you cover in the blog post. Quote, despite growing evidence of the harm caused by medical debt, hundreds of U.S. hospitals maintain policies to aggressively pursue patients for unpaid bills using tactics such as lawsuits, selling patient accounts to debt buyers, and reporting patients to credit rating agencies, a KHN investigation shows, end quote. This was really the heart of the blog post. Tell me a little bit about what KHN concluded. Well, there are five statements of fact that that I'm going to quote here for you. One was more than two-thirds sue patients or take legal action. Two-thirds report patients to credit agencies. A quarter sell debt to collectors. About one in five deny non-emergency care if there's debt. Nearly 40% of all hospitals don't tell you this is on their websites. My problem with this is these are blanket statements of fact. And what the reporter fails to realize is these are business policies. First of all, you need to have business policies. You need to understand how you're going to deal with certain situations. But it's how you can deal with it, not necessarily how you do. So if you look in the database that's posted in the story, the very first hospital listed is UAB Hospital in Birmingham. And this very first hospital in this database of 528 hospitals blows the whole idea out of the water because if you read in the fine print of the footnotes, the spokesperson says it's policy, but not current practice to do these things. So it throws the whole premise for a loop and it actually gets a mention late in the story, but it didn't change the course of the story. Reporters can get a concept in their head and set out to write a story and not let go of it. And everything just kind of feeds what they think, no matter what it is that they're seeing. But, you know, I read this and I thought, is it this story kind of more hospitals are abandoning these practices despite it being their policy? So if we're looking at this claim's accuracy, the claim that policies are maintained to pursue payment is accurate. But the way the reporter applied his own logic is where it fell apart. Exactly. Let's move on to the next claim. Quote, across the U.S. healthcare system, medical debt is taking a fearsome toll on patients, forcing more than half of adults with health-related debt to make difficult sacrifices, including taking on extra work, changing their living situation, or delaying their education, a KFF poll conducted for this project found, end quote. And we should point out that KFF, as mentioned here, is the Kaiser Family Foundation. There are two anecdotes that are connected to this claim. In the first, a college freshman had a heart attack from a previously undetected birth defect. His insurance had lapsed, so he ended up owing tens of thousands of dollars, according to the story. And they say, quote, when he couldn't pay, the hospital reported him to a credit agency, which he discovered only after he graduated and was trying to rent an apartment in New York City, end quote. In the second anecdote, a couple describes borrowing money and withdrawing from their retirement accounts to pay for the husband's care for a foot infection. Quote, when they still couldn't make all the payments, the hospital took them to court, and in 2018, they were ordered to pay more than $9,300, end quote. The common phrase in both of these stories is when they couldn't pay. Let's unpack that. So we see these extreme anecdotes a lot in these types of stories, and they're not the norm. And I don't want to take away from these 
personal situations or seem not empathetic to them, because I certainly am. But to present the story that's being presented here and then take these sort of examples too and say, this is the norm, I find disingenuous. And the at least six months between service and these sorts of actions, if they occur, always get glossed over in these stories. And at least in terms of what gets published, not enough gets asked of these patients, questions that could actually provide answers on their situation. This is one of the reasons why I'm working with the policy team here at HFMA on consumer tips. If you find yourself in a situation with a bill you don't understand or can't afford or your situation has changed, you know, what could you do? But this is a common gap in reporting that would actually help somebody, that would actually provide a solution. As you said, situations like the ones described in this story are very real. High medical debt can indeed be a significant burden. And there are people living paycheck to paycheck for whom any unexpected expense, no matter the amount, can cause major problems. But the picture being painted by these extreme anecdotes really isn't a realistic one. Let's move on to the next claim. People who should receive financial assistance don't because it's too hard to find information about how to receive it and because the application process is cumbersome and complicated. The story points out, as do several stories around this topic, that nonprofit health systems are required to provide financial aid as a condition of not paying taxes. So what do we want to say about this? So there's two cornerstones of the story. One, policy is practice, which we already know can't be applied as blanket facts. And two, it's point of view about where policies and forms should be accessed. So that's kind of the second cornerstone here. The story doesn't get into actual regulations of where these things can be found or or should be found. They just talk about what they can't find online. And so we're just getting a reporter's sense of where they should be. This is dictated by the IRS. And the point is that when you're in a situation, those resources are presented and available to you. So could hospitals do a better job, at least for the optics of making these things easier to get through? I mean, some do a great job with this and some don't. There's 5,200 hospitals in this country. Overall, could they do a better job with this? Clearly the answer is yes, but we're not talking about law. We're talking about a sense of something that we should do for the consumer. So, and then we also get this quote from a dollar four rep. A dollar four is a nonprofit that helps patients pay past due amounts. So here's the quote The system doesn't work. Patients can't find the information they need. Half the time, when they do apply for assistance, they never hear back. Basically, hospitals do what they want and there is no accountability. In a heavily regulated industry, You have to challenge all of this. I spent some time talking with a few of our policy directors here at HFMA. I asked them, how do you know that someone might need financial assistance? Our policy director, Andrew Donahue, said the first tip off is if a patient does not have insurance, that immediately starts the conversation about what options are available for financial assistance or charity care. If a patient does have insurance, there still are options. And I think we're going to be talking about some of those options in a future episode and and what patients can do. But what happens then, it's kind of the same conversation, but it's a different way in. So the healthcare provider will get 
the patient's insurance information, find out what is covered, find out what the patient's portion will be. And then that starts the conversation of whether the patient will need assistance. The other part of this claim is that applying for aid can be, quote, complicated, that patients are required to produce, quote, exhaustive amounts of personal financial information. And they mentioned that patients are asked to provide information about their assets. Seemed reasonable to me to need to understand a person's assets in terms of making a determination of financial assistance. So in terms of accuracy with this claim, the story doesn't get into regulations at all. Hospitals are following the rules and the application process that KHN describes really sounds like a fair one. There are hospitals that can do a better job, but hospitals definitely can't just do what they want, as this dollar four rep said. All right, on to the next claim. Quote, in many cases, patients who should qualify for assistance are instead targeted by bill collectors, whether by accident or by design, end quote. We do know that it happens by accident. KHN points to a story about a lawsuit in Washington state where a health system had pursued payment from patients who should have gotten charity care. By accident? Yes. By design? That's a little harder to prove. I would say there's no impartiality in that accusation. When somebody is at 400% below the poverty level and is discovered late in the collections process, hospitals are embarrassed about that. That is not something that they're proud of. It's not something that they're doing on purpose. And there's really nothing in this story that supports that this is intentional. And the last claim that we're going to get into today is that barring, quote, aggressive collections can have a positive impact on patients. Sounds sort of intuitive. First of all, I think we should point out that aggressive is a KHN word. The IRS term for this is extraordinary collection actions. We didn't really get into this, but there is a whole list of things that needs to happen before a healthcare organization can send a patient's information to a credit agency, for example, or put a lien on their house or all of these actions that these policies are saying that they may do. I think that's kind of what's happening in that six-month period that we're not talking about here. But as far as the positive impact, the story points to Western Pennsylvania as an outlier in the Appalachian region. Quote, Residents there have fewer past due medical bills on their credit reports than the national average. This region is dominated by the Pittsburgh-based UPMC hospital system, which prohibits aggressive collection actions, including reporting patients to credit agencies, end quote. They contrast that with West Virginia, where they say, quote, the incidence of medical debt is more than 50% above the national average, end quote. I had a couple of problems with this. First of all, that's two different statistics. We're talking about medical debt on the credit reports of Western Pennsylvanians versus how much medical debt West Virginians have. That's not an apples to apples comparison. We don't know the incidence of medical debt in Western Pennsylvania. They only tell us how much shows up on the credit reports. And even if you could draw some sort of comparison from those figures, there are so many other factors at play, even though they're neighboring areas. A population, median income, percentage of uninsured patients, all of these things can play a part. 
And Erica, I would add that if we're talking about medical debt, that's not solely hospitals. That could be primary care. That could be your dentist. That could be some sort of medical device that you need. That could be pharmaceuticals. You know, so we we don't know exactly what that means. Now, chances are the largest portion of that is hospital-related debt, but it's certainly not 100% of it. So getting into whether or not this claim is accurate, it is indeed true that if your hospital doesn't report patients to credit agencies, your past due medical debt will not show up on your credit report from your hospital. Um, That is a pretty obvious conclusion there. It does make sense that not taking certain steps against patients who don't pay will make things easier for them. Nobody wants that ding on their credit report. Certainly nobody wants a lien against their house or any of these other extraordinary collection actions that policies may allow an organization to take. But the data they provide in this section is just noise. Yeah, this finding was all you. And, you know, as I was writing the blog, this one didn't really occur to me. And um, I kind of wish it did because it's such a great example of how a reporter can latch onto a theory and not let it go. And everything that they see points in a particular direction. And so this is really just a patchwork of assumptions strung together in a way that that shows a relationship that doesn't really get too many questions. So looking at this story overall, Kaiser Health News set out to tell a certain story. They used data, policies, and anecdotes fast and loose to tell the story that it originally set out to tell. In a heavily regulated industry, which healthcare is, there's no real mention in this story of IRS requirements. Uh, They took extreme anecdotes that are not the norm, and they leave many, many questions unasked and paint a broad picture. So might you get phone calls and notices if you don't pay your invoice? Yes. If you let invoices stack up on a table for six or eight months, might you get phone calls or even a legal judgment? You might. Uh, Lots of things can happen and do happen. People get missed up front, not by design. Circumstances, financial circumstances, can change after service. More hospitals and health systems are revisiting their policies and their practices. And I think we saw that in this story. It just got buried there. There are avenues for people who can't afford an invoice. There's a phone number on the invoice. There's assistance information on the invoice. It's a real disservice that journalists don't probe that a little bit more in that process and how somebody ended up kind of in this extreme situation and what actions did they take to reach out to the hospital we rarely hear. So instead of being solutions-based and actually helping somebody who might be in a situation, these kinds of stories get wide play and all they do is perpetuate fear and distrust and it's not productive. We need more critical thinking in this kind of journalism, more questions and more solutions. There will be much more to come from us. Yeah, the second blog is almost done and uh, should be released pretty soon. And we take a look at a Washington Post article that's based on uh, Urban Institute study. And it turns out journalists across the country covered this study and really didn't question the data and took the narrative straight off the first two pages of the report. So I have a lot to say about this one. And if you are a listener who has something to say, we want to hear from you. If you're a member of the media, we want to know what you think of what we're doing here. If you work in healthcare, we want to hear from you. 
You can reach out to our team at podcast at hfma.org. Healthcare Blame Game is a production of the Healthcare Financial Management Association. Brad Dennison is the chief content executive. Erica Grotto is executive producer. Additional writing and research are done by Paul Barr, Andrew Donahue, Todd Nelson, and the HFMA editorial staff. Sound engineering and editing is by Linda Chandler. Special thanks to Rick Gundling, HFMA Senior Vice President of Professional Practice, and HFMA President and CEO, Joe Pfeiffer. How do we end this? Abruptly.